good to be with you today and um, in this place. Um, I need to pretend a couple of things here this morning. Uh, I'm going to pretend that you don't have masks on and that I can see smiles because it's helpful to me. So sorry if, uh, if, I, if I, you know, I'm offensive with that, but I just can't see your faces and smiles and I'm just going to pretend you're smiling. I'm going to pretend like a year ago that this place is full and that's helpful to me as well because... Uh, um, I, I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak, and so I'm glad that those of you who are joining online are able to do that. And yes, as Mark said, uh, we pray that God will open up the opportunity to really be with each other as God's people again very soon. Um, this auditorium actually holds uh, a special place in my heart in many ways. I graduated from high school at, here at Prairie in 89, and back then this was called the High School Auditorium. And so we had the guys on this side and the girls on that side, actually, okay? It wasn't just a myth from days gone by. Um, and that was the girls' entrance and that was the guys' entrance, as well as the high school over there. Um, now, when I was in Bible school, um, I was a part of the oratorio group, and we performed Handel's Messiah in this auditorium. And so this whole stage was set up, chairs and everything in here, and so I was in the choir part of it, and there was... Uh, other people's with, with instruments and things. And I don't know what it was about that day, but I just remember my, my girlfriend and now my wife, Marla, um, and her best friend, Sharon, who became my brother's wife, um, sitting in the audience laughing at me because I couldn't help myself. It's in the afternoon and I'm dozing off. Like I'm in the middle of a performance, but there are long stints of time in Handel's Messiah where the choir is just sitting there. It was all I could do to, to stay with it. And the thing that helped me most, though, was that they were laughing at me, and I knew that, and that kept me a little bit more alert. So, so many memories from, from Three Hills, from Prairie, from this auditorium, for sure. And I'm just glad and blessed to be with you here today. I do want to share with you just a little bit about Rock Solid Refuge and the work that we do. Um, possibly some of you would come and join us as interns. Um, so we work with young people that have life-controlling issues. At this point, we work with 13 to 18-year-old males, okay? So substance abuse, addictions, pornography, challenging behavior, those are the things that our guys struggle with. We do believe that there's hope. When we see applications come, we can see the desperation and the hopelessness that is in those applications that are coming from their parents in so many cases. But we believe that there is hope in Christ. We are bringing God's transforming love to adolescents struggling with life-controlling issues that they may know freedom, restoration, and hope. That's our mission. We are a distinctly Christian organization. So we have chapels, devotions, and Christian studies regularly. We believe in mentorship, teaching, listening, and encouraging. Each student is assigned a staff mentor. Um, we have a fully accredited independent school in-house, and so we teach grades 7 to 12. Uh, my high school teachers would be very proud of me that I am the superintendent of a school. They would have never dreamed that would have been something in my future. Um, we also believe in teaching life skills, employability skills, coming alongside them in many of the facets of life. Activities is a huge important part because we believe very deeply in building relationships with the young people that we, that we serve. Um, that big fish was caught up at Dory Lake in northern Saskatchewan this past summer, and uh, we just had a great time up there with the guys. Uh, we have started an equine-assisted therapy program as well this past summer. So we've been riding horses out there for a few years, but had the privilege of really launching um, equine-assisted learning program as well. 
And we are working on expanding and opening up four more beds in what we're calling a transition house. And so really moving towards a house model of ministry. And I would love to show you, oh, you know what, I'm going to go back for a second. I would love to tell you more about it. And I will be in the atrium at some points um, today and maybe even uh, Thursday or something like that as well. But come and grab some of the material I have, email me. Text me, um, come and talk to me. I'd love to chat with you. Here's a quick virtual tour by your friend Jonas. Hey, Prairie College. Uh, this is Jonas Church reporting in. I've been asked to give a, a virtual tour of the main building. So here's rock solid for you guys. Got a mask up. Here we got our fully functioning kitchen with fog glasses, of course. Good old dining room as well. Well, the cool thing about Rock Solid is with our students, while they're here for the length of their program, we have a fully functioning classroom, computers for all, and a teacher who's accredited and can actually be teaching people stuff, which is sweet. Here's our chapel where we have our daily devotional times. Chapel's on Monday. Offices downstairs. What? We're down here. And the big oh. ping-pong table downstairs Jerry. with our two bedrooms. Jerry. Say hello, everyone. Ah. And then when you come outside, we have our all-coveted basketball court and ice rink, which needs to be shoveled in this minus 40-degree weather. But that's Jonas Church reporting in. See y'all next time. So if you don't know Jonas, Jonas has been uh, our intern this past year. And uh, in the new year, he stepped into a, a role as one of our lead youth care workers as well. And so we've just been absolutely blessed by having him here. And uh, I would love to have another Prairie intern if you're interested in that. Um, and so... Um, thank you for allowing me a little bit of time to share with you the work of Rock Solid, and please come and visit uh, me at the booth as well. Um, this is, this is uh, kind of a heavy person to do a bit of a character study on David Brainerd. Uh, he was an intense individual. Uh, the, uh, the tagline, I think, that would be good for kind of defining his life a quote from him would be, Oh, that I may never loiter in my heavenly journey. David Brainerd was passionate about every moment of his life possible to be used by God in the service of God. Um, so almost all the excerpts that I read today are from the life and diary of David Brainerd, edited and compiled by Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor and theologian of Northampton. The Life and Diary of David Brainerd was an indispensable resource to some of the most important preachers, leaders, and missionaries of the last 300 years. Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Henry Martin, William Carey, Robert Morrison, Robert McCheen, uh, John Mills, Friedrich Schwartz, David Livingston, Andrew Murray, and Jim Elliott. All would point to Brainerd as inspiring their ministry and missionary work, thanking God for his faithful servant, for this faithful servant to the high calling of seeking first the kingdom of God. What are the priorities of your life? What are the priorities that we establish for our lives? If you knew that you were only going to have a short life, 
what would your priorities of your life be? If God were to grant you a time of sickness before your death, where, where you could think on the ways in which you used your life, what would be the things that you would be glad you used your life for, and what would you regret about how you spent your one precious life? From the preface, preface by Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards writes, He, God, has from time to time raised up eminent teachers to exhibit and bear testimony to the truth by their doctrine and to oppose the errors, darkness, and wickedness of the world. And he has also raised up some eminent persons who have set bright examples of that religion which is taught and prescribed in the word of God. Apologize for the old English of Jonathan Edwards whose examples have, in the course of divine providence, been set forth to public view. And above all, when these bright examples have been set by eminent teachers in a variety of unusual circumstances of remarkable trial, and when God has, with all, remarkably distinguished them with wonderful successes of their instructions and labors. Such, such an instance we have in the excellent person whose life is published in the following pages. As a minister of the gospel, he was called to unusual services in that work, and his ministry was attended with very remarkable and unusual events. For a man esteemed as Jonathan Edwards is in church history, to write that of David Brainerd is an incredible endorsement for a man who only lived 29 years. Mr. David Brainerd was born April 20th, 1718. I do appreciate that, that Prairie has chosen to do these character studies and to see the rich need we have for those who have gone on before. And so here, as we come to more modern times, so-called modern times, um, David Brainerd lived in the 1700s. He was born at Haddam, a town at Hartford in Connecticut, New England. His father was the worshipful Hezekiah Brainerd Esquire, one of his majesty's council for that colony, who was the son of Daniel Brainerd, Esquire, a justice of the peace and a deacon of the Church of Christ in Haddam. His mother was Mrs. Dorothy Hobart, daughter of the Reverend Mr. Jeremiah Hobart, who preached a while at Topsfield. David Brainerd was the third son of his parents. They, have five, they had five sons and four daughters. Brainerd's father passed away when he was nine, and his mother passed away when he was 14. As would become evident, in later, uh, evident later on, many of his family were susceptible to sickness, and four of his family, including himself, died between the ages of 23 and 34. David died of tuber tuberculosis at the age of 29. And that's why I asked some of those questions. What if you only had till 29 years old to live? Um, I assume that a lot of you are probably... Uh, 22 years old and younger. Am I right about that? How many of you are 22 years and younger? Yeah, most of you, right? So just, just think about that. You've got seven years left. That's it. It's all you're going to have. What does that do to you? What do you think about? Where do you want your life to go? And what do you want it to count for? There are aspects of David Brainerd's story that I relate to myself. As one who experienced the sudden loss of my mother in a car accident when I was 12, I relate to the wrestling with God through the teen years as I didn't particularly like God, as I seen him to be responsible for my pain. 
But like Brainerd, there came a time when the true conviction of God overwhelmed me to put my faith and trust in God to save me, sanctify me, and use me. Where are you in that reality? Here's the deal. When I went to Bible school in the fall of 89, I wasn't following God. I went to Bible school because my family expected me to. Didn't want to make waves. Just thought, I should just do this. Hey, you know what? My dad's on staff, so I get to do it for free. Get to live at home. It's an easy gig. Honestly, I partied on the weekends with other Bible school friends. Not a, I'm not proud of that. Pretty ashamed, actually. But yet, during that time is when God got a hold of my heart. And he brought me to a place of conviction. He brought me to a place to understand that my life was given for his glory and not my own. That my personal pleasure was not what was to be king for me. David Brainerd says, Once I remember a pang of distress seized me, and the thoughts of renouncing myself and standing naked before God, stripped of all goodness, were so dreadful to me. Yet when the discoveries of my vile, hellish heart were made to me, the sight was so dread- dreadful and showed me so plainly my exposedness to damnation that I could not endure it. I constantly strove after whatever qualification I imagined others obtained before the reception of Christ in order to recommend me to his favor. Hence, when my distress still remained, I was wont to murmur at God's dealings with me and thought when others felt their hearts softened, God showed them mercy, but my distress remained still. Do we allow God to bring the actual conviction that needs to come in our lives? Or do we brush over it? David Brainerd allowed God to bring that conviction. Then he said this, Having been thus endeavoring to pray, though, as I thought, very stupid and senseless, for near half an hour, and it was quite a journey for David Brainerd to get to this moment that I'm reading right here. Then, as I was walking in a dark, thick grove, unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. I do not mean an external brightness from my soul, rejoicing with joy unspeakable, to see such a God, such a glorious divine being. And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all forever and ever. My soul was so captivated and delighted with the excellency, loveliness, greatness, and other perfections of God that I was even swallowed up in him, at least to that degree that I had no thought, as I remember, at first about my own salvation and scarce reflected there was such a creature as myself. Do we come into the presence of God in such a way that we are more enamored by him, more amazed by him, more desirous of him, actually, than of the things of this world. If we were, if we were denied all the pleasures of this world of, of all kinds, but yet we had God, would, would he be enough? Is he enough? This is the place that God brought David Brainerd. Thus God, I trust, brought me to a hearty, hearty disposition to exalt him and set him on the throne and principally and ultimately to aim 
at his honor and glory as king of the universe. That moment in our lives when, you know, we, we may have been living thinking that the, the freedom we think that we want to pursue for ourselves, the good life that we want, it's, it's within our grasp to create for ourselves. And then that realization that it can't be. I can't, I can't make enough of my experiences good enough to really satisfy. Over the last year, have we not experienced so many things taken from us that we hold dear? This room is not full. But is God enough? Is God enough? This turning point for Mr. Brainerd signaled the difference between a struggle with depression without hope to a struggle with depression with a foundation of hope and love for God as well as the deepest trust in God's sovereign will and goodness in his life regardless of what God willed for him. It's well known that David Brainerd struggled with depression. He called it a very melancholy disposition. Um, and, And if you struggle with that, you may wonder, does that signal something about my relationship with God? For David Brainerd, it pressed him deeper into God. It pressed him into the only sure rock and foundation for his life. And so all the different times throughout his life that he experienced waves of depression and despondency, he sought more deeply the person of God in his life. Many times in his diary, he quotes a a portion of Psalm 73. And um, and so I want to read a little bit of Psalm 73 for you. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And so David Brainerd would, would write of his experiences feeling unworthy of God, feeling disconnected from God. But then, later on in this, in this psalm, it says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, <clears throat> I will speak thus, I would, be, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I believe this was... That moment for David Brainerd, and, and really for me in my walk with God as well, that I came into the presence of God and understood that his presence was more important than anything else. And that his presence was with me and that he had saved me was more important. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, and these are some of the parts that David Brainerd would quote over and over again. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
That's a tough verse right there. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I would challenge us to pray that prayer. And that we would submit ourselves to however God would want that to be shown in our lives, throughout our lives. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you read the story of David Brainerd more thoroughly, you can't help but become acquainted with how his flesh and his heart failed, how his physical being was so frail and so weak, yet God was the strength of his heart and his portion forever. Brainerd held very loosely to the things of this world. For some of us who suffer the early loss of a loved one, it completely changes the way in which we tend to hold on to the things of this world. As there is a deep knowledge that we can't hold on to anything ultimately in this world. Brainerd was able to enter into college at Yale and this was at the time that was known as the first wave of the Great Awakening. Preachers such as George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards spoke and stirred the college students to a passion and fervor for God and the gospel that was not even all that common among the faculty. Yale was a Christian institution at that time. This caused a rife between the students and the faculty, which in their youthful zeal, some students spoke disrespectfully of the faculty's lack of Christian zeal. That would never happen here, right? David Brainerd even saying of one of the faculty after a prayer meeting that he had no more grace than this chair. Whoops. <laughs> For this, he was expelled, never to return to Yale. Even Jonathan Edwards and others tried, to, tried without success to have him reinstated in order to have him graduate, but it never happened. But God had other plans through this situation. This was the catalyst that pushed Mr. Brainerd to become a missionary to the Indians. In time, he would affectionately refer to them as my people. Um, in these days, uh, it, they were referred to as the Indians, so I'm just reading it as, as it was there. Um, and they became very special to David Brainerd. And as much as he apologized for what he had said and, um, and tried to make it right. He trusted that God had, um, had a plan for him wherever he would take him. Few wanted to be missionaries to the Indians as they were seen by many of the colonists as a hindrance to the settling of the new world. But Brainerd believed that God had a people to save in them that had not yet been reached. Some time passed, he writes, I had much pleasure in the prospect of the heathen being brought home to Christ and desired that the Lord would employ me in that work. Do our hearts move for those who do not know Jesus Christ? Think about eternity, actually. Just think about it for a moment. If we know Jesus Christ, he's our Lord and Savior, guess, guess, guess what? Like the Bible promises, we get eternity with him. But what about those who don't know him? Are we, are we moved towards them at all, whether it's an unreached people group on some other part of the, of the planet 
or whether it's an unreached person next door? Do our hearts move for the lost? How do we view the marginalized? How quickly do we write off people, uh, certain people groups or segments of society as not worth our time and really our lives? That was a significant wrestling for those of us that started Rock Solid Refuge. Was it worth the time, the money, and the effort it would take to save a few young people from the destruction of their own choices and also the things that have been done to them? It takes a lot of resources. You know what? If you were to come and be an intern at Rock Solid Refuge, it will wear you out. <laughs> I can promise you. And you will give of yourself and you will love them because God will move you to love, you, love them and you will genuinely love them. And they at times will hate you. They won't love your, your efforts they won't appreciate you as you would like. And we have a good relationship with our students in so many ways. It's true. Uh, we enjoy, like I showed up there, we enjoy the activities that we get to do with them and all of that. Um, but you, you would be laying down your life. Is it worth it? Is that one life that God gives you to mentor and to reach, is it worth it? Truthfully, you can get a better bang for your buck, numbers-wise, Going to places like Africa, and it's a lot more glamorous to put up pictures of helping people in a tribal setting that doesn't even have the basic necessities of life. But God is calling the Church of Jesus Christ to embrace this global mission that is both at home and abroad, where God would call us to lay down our lives for His kingdom. It's not this or that. It's all this. Where has God called us? And David Brainerd understood that so intimately. He writes, I wanted to wear out my life in his, surface, in his service and for his glory. Oh, it is a sweet disposition, heartily to forgive all injuries done us, to wish our greatest enemies as well as we do our own souls. Oh, my sweet Savior, oh, my sweet Savior, whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none, that, uh, none upon earth that I desire beside, beside thee. If I had had a thousand lives, my soul would gladly have laid them all down at once to have been with Christ. My soul never enjoyed so much of heaven before. It was the most refined and the most spiritual season of communion with God I ever yet felt. Mr. Brainerd served as a missionary to three different groups of Indians. Much hardship and, seeming, and seemingly little fruit came from the first two groups. But God brought a season of rich fruitfulness as he served the third group. In all of this, his concern was much more to simply be faithful to whatever God, God's call at any cost. And God would do what he seen best with his service. Here is an accounting of one of his one portion of one of his trips. On one of his trips, he did 600 miles on horseback. Okay? I, I don't know. Like, I ride horse. I like horses. I think they're, they're pretty great. But, you know, every once in a while, usually once or twice a year, we'll do like a 17-mile ride to uh, a Bible camp and stay overnight with our students and then ride back the next day. So, like, you know, we're at a little more than 30 miles in, in a couple of days. Like, 600 miles! Can you imagine that on horseback? So this is one of the occasions. 
Wednesday, October 3rd, we went on our way into the wilderness and found the most difficult and dangerous traveling by far that ever any of us had seen. We had scarce anything else but lofty mountains, deep valleys, and hideous rocks to make our way through. However, I felt some sweetness in divine things part of the day. How many of us would find some sweetness in divine things in that travel? And had my mind intensely engaged in meditation on a divine subject. Near night, my beast that I rode upon hung one of her legs in the rocks and fell down under me. But through divine goodness, I was not hurt. However, she broke her leg, and being in such a hideous place and near 30 miles from any house, I saw nothing that could be done to preserve her life, and so was obliged to kill her and to prosecute my journey on foot. This accident made me admire the divine goodness to me, that my bones were not broken and the multitude of them filled with strong pain. Just at dark, we kindled a fire, cut up a few bushes, and made a shelter over our heads to save us from the frost, which was very hard that night. You know, they didn't turn back. <laughs> they didn't go, that's it, we're done. I don't even have a horse to ride. He walked. He walked on. And on another occasion, he writes, I live poorly with regard to the comforts of life. Most of my diet consists of boiled corn, hasty pudding, etc. I lodge on a bundle of straw. My labor is hard and extremely difficult. And I have little appearance of success to comfort me. The Indians have no land to live on but that the Dutch people lay claim to. And these threaten to drive them off. They have no regard for the souls of the poor Indians. And by what I can learn, they hate me because I come to preach to them. But that which makes all my difficulties grievous is, bo is to be born is that God hides his face from me. Throughout Brainerd's life, he suffered inexpressible pain and sickness, which most of us would have used as the reason to quit altogether. He writes of one occasion, Lord's Day, March 13. At noon, I thought it impossible for me to preach by reason of bodily weakness and inward deadness in the, in the first prayer. I was so weak that I could hardly stand, but in the sermon, God strengthened me so that I spake near an hour and a half with sweet freedom, clear clearness, and some tender power. His passion to communicate the word of God and the preciousness of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was such that he just simply asked God for the strength to do it. And as God gave it, he served. He said this, It is good for me to be afflicted that I may die holy to this world and all that is in it. Now what would it be like if we could sit at his bedside as he was dying. He died of tuberculosis and it was a long, drawn-out process. Excruciating. Lord's Day, May 10. I could not but feel some measure of gratitude to God at this time, wherein I was much exercised, that he had always disposed me in my ministry to insist on the great doctrines of regeneration, the new creature, Faith in Christ, progressive sanctification, supreme love to, uh, to God, living entirely to the glory of God, being not our own, and, and the like. God thus helped me to see in the surest manner from time to time that these and the like doctrines necessarily connected with them are the only foundation of safety and salvation for perishing sinners. And that those divine dispositions which are consonant 
here too, are that holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. As he lay dying, he had only the regret that he didn't have more time to serve God, yet at the same time caught up, as the Apostle Paul talks about, it's better for me to go. He looked forward to dying. And as he lay dying, he would say things like, why does his chariot tarry? Why does he not come for me? And, and it goes on and on as he talks of his great love for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as he comes to the end of his life. <clears throat> There's so many more quotes, and I know I don't have time. So I want to close with this. I see nothing else that can yield any satisfaction besides living to God, pleasing Him and doing His whole will. My greatest joy and comfort has been to do something for promoting the interest of religion and the souls of particular persons. We lay down our lives for Jesus Christ, whatever it is, whether it's a short life or a long life. Let's not go to the least of these first out of the compassion for them, but go first because God deserves glory through the laying down of our life and the raising up of theirs. Are we willing to serve out of a deep love for God and calling by Him and not be dependent on an inner emotion toward right service? Galatians 6, 9, it says we should not grow weary in well-doing. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says that we should abound in the work of the Lord. Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor and theologian of Northampton, said it was a gracious dispensation of providence that Brainerd came to his house to die. This cost Edwards the life of his daughter, Jerusha, who attended Brainerd for the last 19 weeks of his life as a nurse and then died four months later of the same disease, tuberculosis. David Brainerd is the life that God used during his lifetime, and oh, so much more since. Are we willing for our lives to be laid down? Actually, actually. Are we willing to say that we don't have the right to our lives? This was the great crisis for me. When I was in Bible school here, 30 years ago. I know that sounds like an eternity ago. But if I came to faith in Christ, if I put my faith in him and I trusted him, I, know, I knew for a fact that the call of God on my life was that he owned me because he had bought me with the price and I did not belong to me. How can we say we are his and yet lay claim to our lives as if we are our own. It is our place to lay our lives down for the greatness of our King and the eternal good of His kingdom. May we learn from His people. Let's, um, let's just take a moment and a close in prayer as, uh, as you guys go from here. God, we thank You that You have given us these examples of the faith. We thank you, God, that you, by your sovereign providence and your sovereign goodness, you move in our hearts and you call us to yourself. Lord, you did this for David Brainerd. 
And as much as his life demonstrates a life of great struggle and pain and even sorrow many times, God, his commitment to you as his sovereign, good king and Lord and Father was full and thorough. So Lord, I pray that we would be willing to lay down our lives for your kingdom and for your glory because you deserve it all. In your name we pray, amen.